Welcome to the Calvary Young Adults Podcast. We exist to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. Here's today's sermon. Alrighty, if you have a Bible with you and you want to grab that right now, we will be in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 in the New Testament. If you have a hard copy Bible, have a Bible on your phone. Uh, if not, we'll have the, the scripture up on the screen tonight. Uh, man, I, I feel like um, every week I'm here, there, there are new folks who I'm meeting. Um, and so if you don't know me, my name is Brian Howard. I'm the teaching pastor here at Calvary. Uh, and where we are, especially if you're new, is we are in week five uh, of a six-week series, a six-week collection of sermons um, on the core values of Calvary Community Church. So what we said really since the beginning is that there's l- these little phrases we say throughout our life that shape how we live. So when I say the earlier bird gets the... Like you, your whole life, whether you have lived by that or not, you understand that people who get there first tend to get the best thing. And and so little phrases like that actually shape how you live. Uh, And so what we've done as a church is we've identified six phrases that we think will help shape you as you follow after Jesus. And the point isn't just like the phrases are cool. The point is you actually live out the meaning of these phrases in the context of your lives. And so the first week we talked about, it's all about Jesus. Week two, we talked about God's people delight in God's word. Week three, you'll see back there, we say life change happens in relationship. Um, Week four, we talked about found people, find people. We didn't have enough wall space, so we gave up. Um, And then week six here, we're on this phrase where we say that saved people serve people. So I want to talk about that phrase tonight. I want to help you understand that phrase tonight, what we mean as a church when we say that, and more importantly, what that means for you as you follow Jesus. Each week we've shared with you um, a phrase, a paragraph that our elders of our church have given us that help define what these values mean for our lives. And here at Calvary, the authority that sits under the authority of Jesus is the elder board here at Calvary is they guide and direct and shepherd our lives. And so here's what they've said about this phrase, save people, serve people. They say, we see a church filled with disciples who utilize their spiritual gifts, abilities, passions, and experience to serve the world and build up the church. Just as Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, we will become a people for whom serving is as natural as breathing. This will play out in both informal everyday circumstances, as well as organized ministry programs on our campus, in our community, and around the world. For all of us, this begins with understanding our spiritual gifts, hearts, passion, and personality, and then leveraging them for the sake of the world. Tonight, I want to do everything I can to move every person I can in this room. Sometimes we kind of have sermons that go all over the place tonight. It's just super clear. Tonight, my one agenda is that you would be a person who uses your gifts, your passions, your time, your talent, your treasure, your energy to serve the church and bless the world. That's what I'm calling you here tonight. Uh, and I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit of God that some of you will be moved to do exactly that. And I wanna show you what that looks like in the life and the context of Jesus and his ministry. Mark chapter six, verse 30 says this. I'll show you this story. It says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to them all they had done and taught. So let me give you the context for this story. This story begins with the disciples of Jesus. If you don't know how this goes, you got Jesus and 12 guys who are following after him. They're doing teaching. They're teaching about the kingdom of God. They're performing miracles. They're serving people. They're doing remarkable things in Jesus's name. This is a busy season of ministry. Things are going on and there's all sorts of things on their plate. They're helping people. They're serving people. They're healing people. It's a dynamic ministry that Jesus is a part of. You know what the Gospel of John says? The Gospel of John says that if everything Jesus ever did was recorded, the whole world would not have enough space for all the books that had to be written. Meaning there was so much going on, their life was so busy, and that's the context of the story we're about to read. 
This is a story that'll be familiar to those of you that grew up in church. It's of Jesus feeding thousands of people with just a few fish and loaves. But I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss that this miracle happens, not in a day where they're like lounging around. It's not like in the disciples were sitting out by the lake, skipping stones across, seeing who would win the most, right? It wasn't like they were lounging around, hanging out. This was a busy season. It was a difficult season. And yet I think it identifies something important for us. And it's this, that opportunities to serve usually come in busy seasons. Like the moments where God gives you an opportunity to serve usually comes in the most inconvenient times in your life. And here's who knows this best. Um, There's not a lot of us in this room. I'm looking at one over there and me and maybe some others of you. But if you're a parent, you know this, right? Like parents are never like, I have nothing to do. Oh, my child has a need, right? It's always just like chaos in your life. And then you serve the child who's in front of you. People who own businesses or run some kind of organization know this. There's always a million things going on and then opportunities to serve come up. So here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that most of us think, hey, I'm really busy right now. I'm kind of slammed. School is hard. Grad school is hard. Work is hard. There's a lot going on in my life and my family. And so I'll just wait. I'll wait until I'm not busy. I'll wait until things calm down a little bit. I'll wait until this season is over. It's just a busy season right now. But here's what I'm convinced of, that waiting until we serve, until life is free of challenges, results in never serving. Because if your thought is, I will wait until there's nothing stressful or busy going on in my life, and then I will serve, you're probably never going to serve. Because our lives are just constantly filled with busyness, constantly filled with things going on. And what we need to do is say, right in the midst of the busyness, right in the midst of the stress, right in the midst of all the things that are demanding our time, we take time to serve because that's who we are. It's as natural to us as breathing. Now, here's what I do want to say when it comes to seasons of your life. And I know in this room, uh, we have some of you who are you're in, you're in the season of college right now, and you're just kind of working through college. And so that's the season you're in. For some of you, it's grad school. For some of you, it's work and employment and career. For some of you, there's something totally different you're doing right now. But here's what I want to remind you of tonight, that your season of life may change the method of your service, but never your mandate to serve. So meaning in different seasons of your life, you will serve in different ways, but the mandate to serve remains the same. Like in other words, when I was in college, I served on a houseboating ministry on Sacramento River Delta in Northern California. So that's what I did every summer during college. That was the context. That was the method of my service. I served the Lord out on a houseboat, driving high school kids on a ski boat all day and telling them about Jesus. Now, obviously I haven't done that in many, many years. It's been 13 years since I've been a part of that ministry. So my season changed. So my method of my service changed, but not the mandate. Now I serve here at Calvary Community Church. I serve people who are here. I think about my wife who was very involved with our high school ministry here at Calvary. She was leading a small group. She was going on trips. She was going to camp. She was involved in everything. And then we had our first baby. And when we had our first baby, she had to step back from a lot of that ministry and stepped out of high school ministry for a season. And listen what happened. Her method changed, but the mandate for her to serve didn't change. She had a baby, but that didn't mean you don't have to serve anymore. And for a season, she served our children because that's what God put in front of her. And now she started a Bible study for young moms just like her. That's her method of service right now. The method changes, but the mandate doesn't. If you're single and in college and you got tons of time, there's a mandate for you to serve and the method might be you have 10 hours a week to serve. If you're in law school right now or med school right now and you can barely breathe, you barely have time to use the bathroom during the day, like if that's where you're at right now, you still have a mandate to serve, but that method might change. And here's my burden for so many young adults. My burden is that you get to a place where you're serving and then you step out of it because things get busy and you tell yourself this comforting lie. Someday when things settle down, 
then I'll start to serve. And I got to tell you that I've worked with people over the years who have said that to me, and it's five to 10 years later, and they're still not serving because life didn't calm down. And I want you to know the mandate for you to serve doesn't go away because you get busy. So whether you're a single mom or a young mom or or a retiree or in college or in grad school or anything else, wherever you're at, the mandate for you to serve in some way, shape or form never goes away. The story begins with a busy season of ministry. It goes on in verse 31. It says, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come by with me by yourselves to a quiet place to get some rest. In other words, Jesus is like, hey, I know you've been working hard. You've been grinding. You've been at it with ministry. Why don't we go away? We'll have some food. We'll have some rest. And then verse 32, it says, so they went by themselves on a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. They're on the Sea of Galilee. They're like, we'll just cut across on a boat. And people are like, run around the lake and get to them. It's gotta be exhausting. Verse 34, it says, when Jesus landed, He saw a large crowd and I want you to see these words. He had compassion on them. Like Jesus sees this crowd of people who are gathering around and he looks at them, not with like anger. He's not like outraged with them. He doesn't look with them and just be like, ah, what are you guys doing? It says he has compassion. But then I want you to notice this. I want you to notice he has compassion on them, not because it's late and they're hungry and they haven't eaten. He doesn't have compassion on them for that. It says this, it says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And I find this fascinating about Jesus, that Jesus's principal concern with people is that they are like sheep without a shepherd. And you don't even have to know much about shepherding to get the idea that sheep just kind of like go off in directions and they're not really sure where they're going. And unless they have a shepherd, they'll end up going off a cliff or into a wolf's mouth. They'll end up destroying themselves. See, Jesus's big concern for people was the state of their spiritual life. Jesus is gonna feed people. He's gonna heal people. He's gonna cleanse people. He's gonna do all sorts of things for people. And yet his biggest burden is for the people who are like sheep without a shepherd. He looks at them, not with rage, but with compassion. And see, here's the observation I've had for many, many years. The observation I've had for Christians is I've run in Christian circles and I've been a pastor at Christian churches and I've done all of this is that when it comes to material poverty, most Christians have compassion. Like when it comes to material poverty, when we see someone in a foreign country living in a tin shack and they've got six kids in there and they're just trying to survive, most of us have compassion. When we see someone who's homeless, when we see someone who's hungry, when we see someone who needs help, when we see material poverty, we tend to have compassion on those people. But the other thing I've noticed is this, that when it comes to spiritual poverty, many Christians have contempt. So what happens is we see material poverty. They don't have enough food. They don't have enough money. They don't have shelter. And we're filled with compassion for them. But then when we see spiritual poverty, when we see people who are far from God acting like they're far from God, When we see people walking in sin, talking sinfully, behaving sinfully, acting in ways that are completely contrary to the scriptures, we are not filled often with compassion. We're filled with contempt. We're mad at them. We're outraged with them. We're angry that they're not living the way we want them to live, or they're not believing what we want them to believe. But the amazing thing is Jesus was the exact opposite. Jesus had compassion for people and their physical needs. But when he saw people who were spiritually bankrupt, who turned their back on God, who were living a life of sin and debauchery, Jesus did not look at that and be filled with contempt. It said he he had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
I think if you're gonna live out service, save people, serve people, this value in your life, you need to start seeing people who are far from God, seeing people who are living in ways contrary to what God says and stop seeing them with contempt and start seeing them with compassion. In fact, I think the only way we live out this call of God on our life where we are really gonna serve people is if we look at people in this world filled with the same kind of compassion Jesus had. So let me give you a perfect example of this. We have a wonderful ministry here at this church and this ministry is called Middle School Ministry. Middle School Ministry is a wonderful thing. Some of you serve in that ministry or have served in that ministry. Uh, we see uh, many of you out there. Uh, and I wanna show you this picture here uh, that was delivered to me this week. This is a middle school ministry small group here. I know... Uh, I don't know uh, the, 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 the girls in the group at all, so I have no comments on any of them, uh, but I know Megan and I know Sabrina there and they're amazing leaders within our ministry. Uh, but here's what I'd say. Um, do you remember what middle school was like for you? Do you remember the things you said in middle school? Do you remember the things you believed in middle school? Do you remember how you behaved in middle school? Do you remember how you treated your parents in middle school? Do you remember the things you thought were okay in middle school that you look back on and you just cringe about? Do you remember middle school? And middle school was this terrible time. And there's two approaches to middle school ministry. The first approach is to look at middle schoolers in all of their weirdness, in all of their disrespect, in all of their sin, in all of their issues, and just be filled with rage. And to look at them and be like, shape up, do better, stop doing that. I can't stand you, I don't like you, get out of here, grow up a few years and then come back. That's one approach to middle school ministry. It is the approach of contempt, where they're like sheep without a shepherd and we want them to fall off a cliff. But that's not how we do middle school ministry here at this church. See, the people who serve in middle school ministry at this church are not filled with contempt for middle schoolers in all of their uniqueness. They are filled with compassion. They look at middle school students and they say, these students are like sheep without a shepherd and Jesus has called me to be one of their shepherds. He's called me to step in on their lives. He's called me to care about them, to be patient and loving with them, to lovingly correct them, to lovingly encourage them, to step alongside them. See, this is the difference between compassion and contempt. And when we serve, when we serve middle schoolers, when we serve anyone, it has to start with a compassion for who they are. Because we have to remember that Jesus sees people like you and me and he has compassion because we're like sheep without a shepherd. Can I remind you tonight that Christian service begins with the recognition that Christ served us first. Christ looked at you and all of your mess and all of your sin and he goes, I actually want that man. I want that woman. I want them in my family and I will pay for them to be in my family with my own blood. That's how Jesus serves us. In the midst of we deserving nothing, Jesus says, I want them anyway. It begins with compassion. Christ has compassion on us. We show compassion to others. Christ saved us. We serve others. Jesus has compassion on the crowd. And then here's what happens. Verse 35, it says, by this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already getting very late. Verse 36, if you have your Bible, underline this here. It says, send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Jesus' disciples are looking at this crowd of people. We'll learn later, it's thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of people. And their first reaction is, this is a mess. It's getting late, the sun's going down, they don't have food, and they look at Jesus, the Lord of the universe, the one who is at the moment filled with compassion. Jesus is just bleeding with compassion for this crowd. And the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, tell them to go away. Send them away, Jesus. And this is an important part of the story. Because if we're gonna be a people who absorb and live out this idea that save people, serve people, we need to remember two things. We need to remember first that people are not obstacles. People are not obstacles. 
They are not something you try to get out of your way. They're not things you manage. They're not projects in your hand. They're not people you try to control. People are not obstacles. Here's what I need you to know. People are the point. They're the point. The point of life is people. The point of service is people. The point of church is people. The point of love is people. And until you get that, if people are just obstacles to your agenda, obstacles to your comfort, obstacles to your desires, obstacles to what you want, until you get that, you will never be able to serve like Jesus serves. See, here at Calvary, we believe that people are not obstacles, that people are the point. And so our posture as a church is not one of this, where we say, stay away, go away. If you're messy, if your life isn't put perfectly put together, if things are kind of strange and you're like, get away from us. No, people are not obstacles. People are the point. So what do we do as a church? We open our arms like this and we say, everyone's welcome here because you're not an obstacle. You're a point. Let me give you three examples of this. First things first, let me show you early childhood here. Let me tell you, early childhood is the cutest ministry, but don't let them deceive you. I have three children who have grown up through early childhood. They are sometimes adorable and sometimes the furthest thing from adorable. They cry and they're demanding. The other day, my one-year-old was up in early childhood in the nursery room and they're like, we're gonna put you in this room over here. And she demanded her way into the other room. She was demanding, she was angry. They needed to change her diaper. She's a literal poopy mess in front of them. But here's the beautiful thing about service. Service looks at little babies in our church and says they're not a distraction, they're the point. We want them here. Why do we have people serving in early childhood ministry? We have people serving in early childhood ministry because they look at little babies and say, I want the little children to come to Christ. I want the little children to come here. Listen, early childhood here is not like childcare. It's not like they just look after the babies so adults can go to church. They're serving them, they're helping them, they're ministering to them, they're telling them about Jesus. I took my son out of early childhood this Sunday, I was walking him to the car and I asked him, Noah, what'd you learn about in church today? He looks up at me and goes, Daddy, I learned about God and Jesus. And I was like, darn right you did. Like that's exactly what we should be learning about. Why? Because early childhood says you're welcome. People are not an obstacle, they're the point. Let me tell you about our special abilities ministries here. There's a big old wing of our building right here, a massive part of what we do here where we welcome people with special abilities. You say, why don't we call it special needs? Well, we used to, but then we realized that people who have special needs actually have gifts and talents and abilities and something to offer our church. So we welcome them in and we say, you're not a bother. You're not, we're not trying to get rid of you. We don't want you out of here. You're not an inconvenience to us because people aren't obstacles. They're the point. And when we serve people in our special abilities ministry, which some of you in this room do, you say, hey, you're welcome. And not just welcome as an object of our pity or like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. You're actually part of the body of Christ and you have something to offer here because people aren't obstacles. People are the point. We have a care ministry here and the care ministry prays with people. They do funerals. They walk people through the worst times. They visit people in hospitals. So when someone comes up and says, I need prayer, when someone walks up and says, let me spill the deepest, darkest parts of my life, of my marriage and of my personal life and of my walk and of the things going on in my life, we don't go, ah, send them away. That's too complicated. We don't want to deal with that. No, because people aren't obstacles. People are the point. There are volunteers here who visit hospitals. There are volunteers here who go to shut-ins, folks who are stuck inside their house and can't leave. There are volunteers who walk with people through the deepest and darkest of valleys. Why? Because people are not obstacles. They're the point. Listen, our church's mission is to serve people, not send people away. Our church's mission is to serve people, not send them away. That's the heartbeat of who we are. It's what we want to be about. And if you want to be a part of this church, you got to be part of a church that says, we want you here. We're not trying to get rid of you. We want you here. But then here's the problem. If we're going to be a church that opens our arms like this 
and says, come one, come all. Anyone can come. You got problems? Come over here. You got needs? You come over here. Is your life a little messy? You come too. In fact, bring your friends, bring your family. It's messy. Just join us in the mess. If we're going to have that kind of posture, it only works if there's people to actually serve those people. And so the question is this, if us as a church, if we're going to have a posture that says, hey, everyone gets to come, who's going to serve this vast wave and army of people who are coming? And the answer is easy. It's safe people. It's you. It's Christians. Why? Because saved people serve people. That's what we do. The point is not just like, what we'll do is we'll hire a bunch of staff here and the staff will serve them and the rest of us will just consume Christianity from Calvary Community Church. No, the point is that God mobilizes and raises up hundreds, even thousands of people right here at this church because saved people serve people. People are not an obstacle. They are the point. It goes on this way in verse 37. I love this. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. I don't think the disciples like this answer at all. The disciples are like, uh, Jesus, we should send them away because they're going to be hungry. They thought they were being practical. They thought they were being reasonable. They thought they were being thoughtful. They're like, listen, these people are going to starve out here. So you got to send them away, Jesus. And Jesus looks at them. And instead of saying, you know what? That's a very reasonable thing to say. He looks at his disciples and says, why don't you feed them? And remember, this is not like a handful of people. This is tens of thousands of people potentially. This is at least 10,000, maybe even 20,000 people. And Jesus looks at his 12 guys and is like, go ahead, feed them. And in that moment, you got to imagine the disciples are not expecting that because they expected Jesus to do the self-preservation thing the rest of us do. If it's inconvenient, send people away. But that's not what Jesus does. You know how Jesus treats his disciples in this moment? He treats them like servants. He says, you serve them. It's your responsibility. You take care of it. He's treating them like servants. And I want you to know this isn't just like a one-off in Jesus's life. This is the consistent teaching and witness and command of Jesus all throughout the New Testament. Let me show you Mark chapter 10. I love this verse. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He calls them together. He goes, guys, huddle up here. And he says to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers and the Gentiles lorded over them. Like in other words, in the secular world, people who are in charge, they kind of show how strong they are. They show how important and privileged they are. It says, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Verse 43, not so with you. Like in other words, that's not how you're gonna behave where you try to show off how wonderful you are. He says, instead, whoever wants to be great among you, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And in verse 45, it says, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The consistent teaching of Jesus all throughout the scripture is that if you want to live and love like Jesus, you need to have the heart of a servant. You need to have the identity of a servant. You need to be the type of person for whom the word servant is not some sort of insult or, or, or dismissive way of talking about you. It's not some sort of thing you try to avoid, but it's like a badge of honor in your life. I'm here to serve. I am a servant. I'm a servant of Christ. I serve him and I serve at his pleasure and his pleasure alone. That's what we're called to do as Christians. As Christians, we are called to say, I am called to be like my Savior, like my Lord, like my Jesus. He was a servant. I'm going to be a servant, and I want to have the heart of a servant. Now, I worked on a camp in college, uh, and that camp I worked on, I mentioned earlier, where I was out on those houseboats, um, talked about servant and being a servant heart and being of service to others all the time. It was like the drumbeat we heard, because the great temptation when you work on a camp is like, I'm just going to enjoy it. But that was not what we were there for. We were there to serve, just like Jesus. We were there to be a servant to all. 
And so from time to time, there would be this gut check question we would have. And we'd be asked if we had the heart of a servant. And the expression that was used so many times, and I'll never forget it, is this, that you'll know whether or not you have the heart of a servant by how you react when you're treated like one. That's how you'll know. You will know whether or not you have the heart of Jesus by how you react when you're treated like a servant. You'll know whether or not you have the heart of Jesus by how you react when you are treated as the one who has to serve and gets no credit, gets no glory, gets nothing, but rather just gives your life as a ransom for others. I remember this hitting me so squarely this summer. Uh, This summer, I uh, preached up at Forest Home Christian Camp for a church that invited me up there. Uh, and I was there, I was the speaker for the week. Uh, and my family came up for a bit, but they had gone. And so one morning it was just me, I got up, I went down to breakfast and, and there's like a, there's a bunch of camps going on, but there was like a family camp going on. So there's like this family sitting next to me at breakfast and I'm sitting there eating my food and they've got their parents and the kids are there. And as the kid's drinking her little orange juice, um, she does what kids do. She drops the orange juice and it spills all over the ground. And listen, I got young kids at home. So I'm like, I'm familiar with this situation. I've been there many, many times this week. And so the first thing I do, I see her drop the orange juice on the ground. And so I was like, oh no. And then I looked over the parents. I was like, I can help. Don't worry. And so I took the napkins off my table and I'm down there scrubbing. And, and, and after a few minutes of cleaning up, I, I, I realized very quickly that no one's helping me. It's just me down here. And, and I realized in that moment, I was like, well, that's kind of odd, but okay. And so I'm cleaning up and I finally kind of get everything cleaned up and I stand up and I've got napkins with orange juice soaked through it. And I'm just standing there and I turn to look at the table. And in that moment, I was expecting them to be like, that's so kind of you. Aren't you the camp speaker? The camp speaker cleaned up our orange juice. How nice of you. I turned to look at them and they didn't even acknowledge me. They didn't even look up at me. Their daughter had spilled orange juice all over the floor. Mom, dad, other kids, and daughter proceeded with their breakfast as if nothing had happened. And I cleaned it all up and looked over to them and heard nothing. So I go over to the trash can, I throw it away, I grab my bag, and I storm off, and I'm walking back to my cabin. I just remember being so frustrated. Like, who are these people? I got on my knees. I didn't have to do that. I wasn't here to like be the, the orange juice cleaner upper this week. I was here to be the pastor. I was here to be the preacher. I'm kind of like stewing in my resentment and my entitlement. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit of God whispers to me. And the Holy Spirit of God asked me a question and I wrote it down. So I want to make sure I get these words right. It was something to the effect in my heart of this. Are you serving because you love recognition or are you serving because you love me? In that moment, it broke me. Because the answer in that moment is I got down on my knees to clean up orange juice because I wanted to be recognized. I wanted them to see how lovely and amazing I was. I didn't get down on my knees because I loved Jesus in that moment. I got down on my knees to clean up orange juice because in that moment I wanted to be seen as like cool and humble pastor guy. And it's so gross inside of me. And yet all of us have to have this recognition that when we're serving in such a way that I stand up and they don't even look at it and go, well, cool, I had an opportunity to serve the Lord today. That's the kind of heart I want to have. You'll know whether or not you have the heart of a servant by how you respond, how you react when you are treated like one. If your heartbeat is, I'll serve, but only if people recognize me, or I'm serving right now, but I don't get enough credit for all I'm doing. Man, that is not an issue with the ministry you're serving with, the church you're serving with, the people you're serving with. That's an issue with your heart. Your heart needs to be oriented in such a way that you go, I don't need the credit. I don't need the recognition because I'm not out here serving for my glory. I'm out here serving for Christ. It goes on this way in verse 37. It says, they said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. And how are we going to spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? So Jesus looks at them. And remember, he treats them like servants. 
He says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to feed them. And you got to imagine they're reacting pretty negatively to this. They're like, we don't actually know how to do it. And immediately they jump to the logistics question. They're like, actually, we're going to need a lot of money to feed everyone out here. And I'm not sure we have that much money, but you know what's fascinating? Do you remember how this whole story started? Let me read it for you again. Mark 6.30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Like in other words, God had been doing miracles through them. God had been sowing his supernatural power through their lives. All this time, God had been showing up and showing off. And in this moment, Jesus goes, you feed them. And they never even once thought, what if God does a miracle here? It never occurred to them. It never occurred to them that they could step into this moment, this moment that seemed overwhelming, this moment that seemed insurmountable and that God would actually do a miracle. They've seen God do all these miracles. And suddenly they get to like this bean counting, how much money do we have? How are we gonna scrape together enough money to serve everyone here? They missed it. They missed it because in their minds, they were so obsessed with the problem, so obsessed with the thing out there that they didn't actually realize that God wanted to use them in this moment. God wanted to use them. And here's what I want to say to you. God wants to use you. I'm not saying like you vaguely out there. I mean, each and every one of you. Like the great sin of the modern church sometimes is to think that God uses pastors, God uses worship leaders, God uses a few people who are on the stage, but the rest of us, I don't know if God's going to use us. Here's what I want you to know. God is going to use you. God is looking to do miraculous things in and through your life. God wants to show his supernatural power in your life. And here's how it happens. God does his best work through those who are willing, through the willing. It's not the super talented. It's not the people who are the best. It's not that God looks around. He's like, wow, that girl's talented. Let's use her. It's that girl's willing. So I'm going to use her. It's that guy's willing. So I'm going to use him. I've seen this play out over and over and over again. It's the people who just show up and say, God, would you use me? That God uses his supernatural power through. So let me tell you a story of a guy who served for many years. Some of you will know this name immediately. Let me show you a picture of a young man named Andrew Demansky. Andrew Demansky uh, is down there uh, uh, on your right in the blue long sleeve shirt, kneeling down. Uh, Andrew Demansky uh, was a part of our high school ministry for many, many years. About 15 years ago, he started leading a high school small group here. And for 14 years, he was a co-leader in a high school small group here at Calvary. In fact, uh, I see some of you in the room. Raise your hand if Andrew Demansky was your small group leader. Handful of you. Yeah, a few guys back there over there. So Andrew Demansky was one of these small group leaders who was so consistent for so many years. We, we tallied it up this week. Our best guess is about 200 high school students, maybe more, went through that group on a regular basis. Now, if Andrew were up here, actually, he'd kill me because the last thing Andrew wants to do is be on the stage. He doesn't want attention. He doesn't want the spotlight. But if I could manage to drag him up here and I say, Andrew, what made you so special to see so many people roll through this group, to see such a deep impact on this valley, to see people who are in ministry, people who have families, people who have been raised up to great things. Andrew, why did God use you for such amazing things? Was it because you went to seminary? He'd be like, I didn't go to seminary. Was it because you're really good on stage? You'd go, I'd die if I came on stage. If I asked Andrew, I said, do you have some special skill set? Are you like the most special person? Are you an expert on youth culture? Andrew would say, I don't know if I'm an expert on youth culture. I'll tell you exactly why God used this man to impact so many lives here at Calvary. It's because he showed up for 14 years, every Wednesday, every Tuesday, Week after week after week, camp after camp after camp, phone call after phone call after phone call, text message after text message after text message, prayer after prayer after prayer. Why? Because God doesn't impact the world through some special, unique kind of person. He impacts the world through people like Andrew who show up, who show up. 
That's how God changes the world. Jesus' disciples here, we're supposed to feed them and they never even think God could use us. But I want you to know, God can use the disciples. God can use Andrew. God can use you. God can use any of us. This is the beautiful thing about our God. I see the story of Andrew and I'm just reminded of this quote from Bob Goff who says this, that God often uses the least qualified, most available people to get things done. And that's the invitation for your life. I think sometimes you think, well, I don't have some special skill, some amazing thing that I can use in ministry. God just uses the people who show up and say, use me, Lord, use me. It goes on this way in verse 38. Jesus asked, how many loaves do you have? And they said, go and see. And when they went out, they said five and two fish. Now we learned from the gospel of John that um, this comes from like a little kid's lunchbox. He's basically like, ah, this is what I got. And he's got five loaves and two fish for at least 5,000 men, which probably means 10, maybe 20,000 people total. It's this amazing thing. But here's the beautiful thing about this little boy and a little thing about this fish and this bread. Like they took this little offering to God and they're like, "Um, here's this tiny little amount of food to feed tens of thousands of people. And the beautiful thing about our God is that he takes that tiny little amount of food and multiplies it to something we couldn't possibly imagine in our minds. This is the beautiful thing about our God. Like, let me put it to you clearly this way. In God's kingdom, our small acts of service don't have a predictable linear impact. Which means like when you serve, sometimes we think Andrew served 200 high school students, so he impacted 200 high school students. Not so. What happens is he served 200 high school students and I'm willing to believe that 2 million people will be impacted by the time we get to glory. Like I'm willing to believe that God would take it in an unpredictable kind of way. In fact, in God's kingdom, our small acts of service have an unpredictable exponential impact. Meaning we offer our little acts of service before God, our frail little abilities before God. And we say, God, here's what I have. It's not much, but it's all I have. And God uses it to great effect. Like imagine this little boy, I'll show you this little painting here. Imagine this little boy and imagine he's walking up to Jesus and he goes, all I got is this little fish and some bread. It's not much. What can you possibly do with this? How could this possibly make a difference? And Jesus goes, in my hand, I'll show you how I'll make a difference with this. I will multiply this to feed thousands. I want you to think about it this way. I'll show you this picture of our elementary ministry. This is a kindergarten class right here. You got someone serving with a kindergarten here. You go, how's that going to impact the world? I'm just like coloring with a kindergarten and teaching them Bible stories and singing songs with them. How's that going to impact the world? In God's hand, that changes the world. In God's hand, that changes the world. Because when we offer our little acts of service before the Lord, we have no idea the unbelievable impact that he'll make with that. Let me show you some of our ushers and greeters here at Calvary. Folks who stand in the lobby. There are folks who stand out there every week. There are people who are ushers, greeters, parking lot attendants. You go, how does a guy in a vest parking someone in a car, how does God possibly gonna use that? You watch what he does when he multiplies that out. Can you imagine someone who's not been to church in many, many years? They show up expecting everyone to be angry at them and at least one person smiling at them like that. Can you imagine what God can do with a smile? What God can do through that little act of service? Let me show you our worship team here at Calvary. We got worship teams in this room, in the big room, in high school, in elementary, big, small, all over the place, all sorts of musicians. You go, I was just playing bass. All I was doing was drumming. All I was doing was helping in the tech booth. How does that do anything? And God uses those little acts of service to change the world. This is what God does. He takes our little acts of service and does something massive. Let me show you a short-term mission trip here. People get on a plane, they fly halfway across the world. They said, all I did was hand food to a little kid. Anyone could have done that. Surely that doesn't make an impact. 
But you know what God's done? He's flipped the world upside down through people who fly across the world and hand food to a little kid. Because in our minds, it's a linear, predictable impact. But in God's kingdom, it is an unpredictable, exponential impact upon the world when we serve. That's why Jesus says in Mark 4, he says again, he said, what shall I say the kingdom of God is like? What parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. And yet when planted, it grows and becomes one of the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. You know what the kingdom of God is? You give him a little bit, he multiplies it by thousands. That's why we serve. We serve because God's gonna do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine with our little acts of service. Verse 39, here's how uh, it goes. It says, then Jesus directed all of them and all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. I love this. Jesus tells his disciples, you're servants. And he looks at 20,000 people and he has the boldness to be like, sit down. And they're like, okay. He goes, in groups, only on the grass. That's what he does. And you know why Jesus gets to do that? Because he's king. He's in charge. He gets to call the shots. And if you're gonna be a person who internalizes, save people, serve people, it starts with believing Jesus is king, I am not. Jesus is Lord, I am not. He gets to call the shots in my life, I don't. That's how it begins. We don't serve just because like we're good folk and we want to do good things in this world. We serve because our king told us to do it and we're going to obey because that's how spiritual growth happens. I've talked about this all the time. Here's the two-step process for spiritual growth. Write this down. It's brilliant. It's mind-bending. It's so good. Um, you listen to God and then you do what he says. That's it. That's it. That's the process. That's how you grow spiritually. You're like, what about Bible studies? Bible studies are awesome, but one act of obedience will do more in a believer's life than a thousand years of Bible study. Like, I want you to know that when you obey, when you live out the scriptures, that's how spiritual growth happens. It's not about knowledge. It's not about feelings. It's about you obeying the commands of Jesus. Because listen, insight doesn't cause spiritual growth. If you leave tonight's sermon, be like, Brian crushed it. I love that metaphor. Oh, the pictures were so good. Oh, I love that little line he said. That, oh, that was so good. I wrote that down. But you never do anything about it. You will not grow. And far too many Christians are just like, that sermon wrecked me. It destroyed, it eviscerated me. And I'm like, what'd you do about it? Oh, nothing. Okay, cool. Uh, I posted about it. I have it in my notebook. I have it right here, right? Like insight is great, but insight doesn't cause growth. It's like the person who's like, I'm going to eat healthy. I know all about eating healthy. And I'm like, but you're eating donuts and pizza all day. They're like, but I know how to eat healthy. I'm like, but you actually don't get healthy until you do it. And that's what gets to spiritual growth. Insight doesn't cause spiritual growth. Obedience does. And if the command of Jesus consistently all throughout the scriptures is serve people, be a servant, be a slave to all, use your gifts, use your talents, pour out your life, pick up your cross, follow me. If that's the command of Jesus and we're called to obey that, then I have one question for everyone in the room tonight. And this is the question I'm gonna ask all weekend in this room and to our adult services this weekend. Here's the question for you to wrestle with as you go to bed tonight. Is God pleased with the way I'm currently serving? Is God pleased? If the call of God in my life is obedience, the question is, is God pleased? Now listen to me, I'm not asking two things. I'm not asking, is Pastor Brian pleased? I'm not asking, is someone else in this church pleased? I'm asking, is God pleased? Listen, I'm not asking if you're pleased. You might be like, I'm very pleased with the way I'm serving. I'm good right now. That's not the question. The question is not how you feel about it. The question is how God feels about it. And listen, the answer for some of you might be, God is deeply pleased. Because some of you are just wringing yourself out for God's glory here in YA or in some other ministry or in some organization or in some other church or in some other place, you are just all in on God and his purposes for your life. And God is pleased. Listen, the purpose of this sermon isn't like you always have to do more or you feel guilty. 
That's not what this is. If you are serving and you are feeling like God is moving in my life, I am serving. I believe he is pleased with my service to him. Praise the Lord for that. Like seriously, praise the Lord. But if tonight the answer to that question is, you know what? I'm not serving. I've been calling it a busy season, but that busy season has been about a decade. I've been calling it a busy season, but I'm really not doing anything for anyone but me. I've been calling it a busy season. I've just kind of been disconnected. Maybe I got burned by a church. Maybe I switched churches. Maybe I moved. I've just not leaned in. Here's what I want you to ask. Is God pleased with the way you're serving? And again, you don't owe me an answer, but you owe you an answer and you owe the Lord an answer to what you believe he's calling you toward in your life. And so here's the invitation. If the answer is yes, I'm pleased with the way God's serving. Uh, we drop these... Um, Papers on your thing. So grab this if you would. Uh, most of your seats have them. If you don't have one on your seat or you don't have a pen, just slip your hand up. Some folks in the back will, will help you get that. Um, listen, on the very bottom of this, it says I regularly serve at another church or ministry or I regularly serve here at Calvary. If that's you and you feel good about where you're serving, awesome. Check that. We would love for everyone tonight to fill this thing out and drop it in that box back there. You'll see a box right back there by the curtains. But if tonight you go, you know, I just don't think the Lord's pleased with how I'm serving. I'm not here to guilt you. I'm not here to shame you. I'm here to invite you into an opportunity for God to do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine in your life. I'm here to invite you into an opportunity for you to grow spiritually because spiritual growth does not happen through insight. It happens through obedience. So the invitation is simply this, write your name, your number, your contact stuff, check one of these boxes. When you check a box, you're not saying I'm committing to this forever. You're literally just saying, I would like more information about. Someone will call you, someone will email you, someone will reach out to you. Again, it's not your job to impress us. It's not your job to make sure we think you're doing enough. Your job is to wrestle before God Almighty and say, God, are you pleased with how I'm serving in this season? And again, the answer might be yes. But if the answer isn't yes, I want to invite you to fill out this card, to drop it in the box, to take a step. Why? Because insight does not cause spiritual growth. Obedience causes spiritual growth. Here's the invitation. Fill this out right now. Fill it out during worship. Fill it out after there's a box in the back. If you want to talk to us about it, we're open to talking. If you have questions, you can talk to us. If there's something that's not on this card, but you're like, I want to serve in this way, just write it. There's plenty of white space. If you want to write a mean note to us, you can put it on the back. That's fine too. Whatever you want to do. But let me show you the end of the story here. Verse 40. It says, so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and he broke the loaves. He gave them the disciples to distribute to the people and divided the two fish among them. They were all, they ate and were all satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. 5,000 men eat. There's probably women, children, 10, 20,000 people there. I love that they have leftovers at the end. They're like, we have too much food now. How did that happen? You know how it happens? We give a little bit to God. God does unbelievable things. Now, you ever thought about, if you've heard this story growing up in church, you ever thought about the fact that Jesus could have just snapped his fingers and had food show up? Do you know that actually in the wilderness, what happens in the Old Testament is Jesus rains manna. It's like a breadish type substance from heaven and they eat this thing. So if God could do that back then, why couldn't Jesus just do this now? If God could do that back then, why didn't Jesus just snap his fingers and feed all these people? Why did he have to go through this whole thing of like challenging his disciples and receiving this gift? Why did he receive this gift from this little boy of these this loaves and this fishes? And the answer is the consistent pattern throughout all of the scriptures. God uses his people to accomplish his purposes. God uses his people to accomplish his purposes. He always has and he always will. The glory of God is that we actually get to be a participant in God's glory and his purpose and his mission in this world. He invites us into this thing. He could do it all by himself. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. And yet he asks us to be involved anyway. And you know what the coolest thing is? That God does his greatest work through simple acts of service and faith. 
Simple acts, small things that explode into something so much bigger because of the power of the kingdom of God. I want to close with this image. I want you to think about the fact that uh, I live in a city just over here uh, called Thousand Oaks. And all over Thousand Oaks, they count from time to time to make sure there's still a thousand oak trees. Uh, But you'll see the oak tree here. uh, And there are, in fact, uh, over a thousand oak trees in Thousand Oaks. Now, the thing about the oak tree that I always forget as I drive around and as I see various oak trees here in Thousand Oaks, Westlake Village, Conejo Valley area, is that oak trees all began in the same way. They didn't pop out of nowhere. They weren't dropped from the sky. Oak trees all began with a tiny little acorn. That's how it began. Acorns growing into oaks. Acorns, the paper of record that throws its newspaper, whether you want it or not, onto your driveway each day. Here's the beautiful thing about an acorn, tiny little thing, could fit in the palm of your hand, and yet it grows and it grows and it grows and it becomes something so much bigger than you could possibly imagine. That acorn becomes it. In fact, I want you to see this two little two-minute video. Um, our band will make their way up right now and this video will roll. Uh, but I want you to see this little video of how an acorn uh, grows into an oak tree. know how God changes the world. God changes the world through taking small, tiny acts of faithfulness and obedience and exploding them into something so much bigger than all you could ask or imagine. Listen, tonight's sermon is not some sort of guilt or shame trip where I'm saying you should be serving and you're not serving and you're awful and you should do better. If that's what you're taking, please back away. Don't feel guilted and shamed into anything. This is an invitation 
This is an invitation for you to serve in tiny little ways because listen, God can and will do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine through the faithful believer who chooses to serve. That's how God changes the world. That's how God took 12 guys and decided to send them on a mission to change, to serve. And it changed and flipped upside down the entire world. This is how our God works. This is an opportunity. This is an invitation for you to serve in such a way that changes lives, that changes this church, that changes the Canelo Valley and changes the world. And you have no idea what God will do when you choose to say yes to him and serve. Why? Because save people, serve people. And that's how God changes the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your disciples. Thank you for their example. And sometimes they're not so good example. God, I pray that we would learn to be a people who serve, who trust you, and who offer the small little pieces of our life that you would see something remarkable happen in our time. And so God, for those who are serving faithfully, God, I pray you would encourage them through your Holy Spirit tonight. Through those who are in a season where their service is so narrow because of their schedule and their life, I pray that you would give them opportunities to serve. And for the young men and women in this room who are listening tonight, who know that it's their time, that you're calling them to offer their life in service to you. God, I pray that you would move them, not by guilt, not by shame, but by the power of your Holy Spirit to step into something bigger than themselves, to serve and watch what you do with that. Jesus, we thank you for the privilege of gathering here tonight. God, may we always be a saved people who serve people and who ultimately, God, serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said real loud. Thank you for listening to this message. I hope it was a blessing to you and want to invite you to join us on Thursday nights for service at 7 p.m. To connect with us, follow us on Instagram at calvya underscore or on our website, calvarywestlake.org.